0: I'm here with Rhonda Grunewald, and we just had you on Life on the Rock, and you were the president founder of Vocation Ministry. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: So, Vocation Ministry was born out of the need in the church that there wasn't anything out there to tell priests, parishioners, educators how to promote vocations in their environment, wherever they are, whether it's a parish or a classroom or um, a school setting. And so that's how it came to be is that once when I was asked to do to resurrect a parish vocation committee at my own parish. Mm-hmm. First of all, A, I'm a convert. I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, B, I went home and asked Google what that was and Google didn't have anything for me. Mm-hmm. So since that was all, I didn't know anything. And I just- know why, why did the priest ask you? It's a really good question. He, yeah. sa- he didn't even know me very well. Yeah. I had um, ridden on a bus with him to the largest Planned Parenthood in North America, which is in Houston, Texas, because mm-hmm. we were going down there to pray as part of 40's mm-hmm. Days for Life, right? So I had met him there. I was working with the youth and he had come to quite a bit of youth, youth oh, okay. events. And, I, and our family always sat in the front row at Mass. And so that's all he said he knew. He mm-hmm. said we were coming to Mass. He knew we ca- I cared enough to get on a bus to go to Planned Parenthood and pray, and I was working with the youth, and he mm-hmm. thought this is somebody who cares about her faith. And that's really all you need. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know everything about vocations to right. do something about it. Because mm-hmm. I actually think there are a lot of people who care, and they know that without priests, we don't have Eucharist, and without Eucharist, we don't have the church. Mm-hmm. They know that they see their priests hurting they had no idea there's anything they can do about it
0: yeah Yeah, the catechism speaks of how the the sacraments make the church you know that they form the church like they're forming christ's body and and the priesthood is serving that you know you need that's necessary for the offering of the mass so it's a beautiful yeah connection that john paul ii on his document on the eucharist he talked about how the The church draws her life from the Eucharist.
1: And how do we have the Eucharist? Right,
0: right.
1: So so when I was asked to do this, and then there were no resources for us to do Mm -hmm. this, um, I actually just worked with my parish priest, and he trained me because being a convert, not knowing what that vocations meant and what that, he had to train me quite a bit and to share with me some of the big lessons I learned was that everything we needed to do at our parish needed to be rooted in prayer for vocations. So even when we would have Priesthood Sunday, so that's the the last Sunday of September, is Priesthood Sunday, mm-hmm. and even though that's an af- time of affirmation for a priest, yeah. uh, there should be some aspect of prayer. So so we need prayerful action versus only a lot of people have been praying for vocations for decades we need to do pray we need to pray and we need to have action along with that prayer right so that's how i i feel like like for for example one of the first things we did as a vocation uh vocation ministry lowercase vocation ministry at our parish was to consecrate our ministry to jesus through our blessed mother and Mm. father victor wrote a consecration prayer for us Mm. Like, everything that we were going to do was going to be so rooted and foundationally sound in prayer. And everything else was going to come from that. Like, that makes sense right now that I say that. Mm -hmm. But did I know that that's what it should be? No, but Father Victor did. And so we did that, and then we started doing all kinds of activities at our parish, like bringing seminarians in to talk to the kids and playing pin the miter on the bishop at the parish festival and all kinds of fun things, um, to bring awareness to it. And then affirmed our priests affirmed those who said yes. Um, our, our ministry was focused on of religious life and sacramental marriages, because if we don't have marriages striving for holiness, we won't have priests and sisters. Right. So we need to do all three. So we started doing that we, and we for about 18 months we were just going and doing and I didn't really think anything more of it that we were we were I just felt like we were having a first of all I was having a blast. I loved it. I love being around sisters and priests and seminarians and people who care about the church. I feel like people who are in vocation world are are the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. They want to to build up the church right. in that in that way, right? And so we were We were just going and doing, and then what we realized is there were, things were happening at our parish. I would have two girls come up to me after a um, youth event and say, hey, Mrs. G, that's how I was known, and I was the vocation lady even back then, so Mrs. G, Mrs. G, do you remember when you had those sisters come to our classroom Mm -hmm. a few years ago? Yeah, I just wanted you to know that we are both discerning religious life, and of course they're whispering, right? Mm -hmm. We're both discerning religious life. Like things were happening when totally unexpected. People were coming to our family holy hours for vocation, you know, meeting the sisters who were there. Anyway, it was just fantastic. So then the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston kind of saw the success of what was going on and said, Rhonda, how can we do that all over Houston? And I said, well, maybe I could write a pamphlet. And that pamphlet turned into the first book that I wrote, Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry. So it was everything I was wishing I would have found in 2011, hmm. why are we doing this? Uh, one of the reasons why we're doing this is because we have 3,500 parishes in the United States without a resident priest. Wow. The average age of a priest is 67 years of age. Wow. 38 parishes last year in 2021 did not ordain a new priest. Um, the In the north and northeast in particular, and they've known this for decades, that in 2025, um, a very large number of priests will be retired, of retirement age. But guess what's not happening? They're not retiring. Mm -hmm. But they are getting a letter. Now, not every diocese is doing this, but some, because I've heard from their priests, Mm -hmm. that 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 priest is getting a letter from their bishop and saying, I know, Father John, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be retiring. If you do retire, which I respect that, if you want to retire, but the parish will have to close if you Mm -hmm. do. And then the step from that is, for example, in Newark, the pastors are receiving a, a letter saying, I know that you um, had a, a parochial vicar, an assistant pastor, right? Mm-hmm. But he's going to have to go on and be a pastor somewhere, and we're not going to be able to replace him. Right. You know, yeah. that's, the, that's the step before the other one. Anyway, this is happening, uh-huh. and it's real. Um, that is not the only reason we do this. I mean, marriage is hurting, you know, the number of sisters is what it was a hundred years ago. Um, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's very fundamental to me because um, we need our priests. Our priests are the visible witness to Christ to all of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, if we just have one more yes, and we know, we know from our work we've had a lot more yeses, but if we just have one, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. worth every bit of this. Um, so the book, the first book came out and the website, vocationministry.com. So if somebody liked one of the activities in the book, then they go to the website, download the, whatever they needed to do it, put their parish name on it and go. Mm -hmm. That's from my education background. I wanted to make this so easy for people, Mm -hmm. right? That they didn't have any other word, but yes, I'll do this Mm -hmm. anyway. So then I thought I was done. I thought I was done. I was like, Jesus, I did what you asked. I'm done, right? I'm good. And uh, I go to a vocation director's conference. So each year, uh, the vocation directors from around the country get together. There's one for each diocese and share ideas and have workshops and all that. And I was there just to share with them about hundredfold. And so many of them came up to me and said, I've read this book. Thank you. Can you come train our priests? Can you come teach our parishioners how to do this? And I looked at them like they were crazy. And I'm like, have you read the first part of the book? I'm a convert. There got to be rules against that. They're not going to let me talk to priests, right, Right. about promoting vocations. Uh No way. And they assured me that it was fine. So I keep saying yes. Whatever God puts in front of me, I try to do.
0: So have you traveled all over?
1: 50 I mean, different dioceses across North America, all over oh, wow. from coast to coast in Canada and given.
0: And giving talks Oliver. to priests? Maybe? So
1: I've given 30 priest convocations. So that means I'll be the main speaker okay. training priest yeah. for one, two, three days, wow. um, sometimes okay. three, four, five, six, seven talks. Yeah. Um, and then that follows up to then we ask the priest to send two to five parishioners to a parishioner workshop, a diocesan-wide parishioner workshop, so I can train so 50, 60% of parishes represented at this workshop and train them how to do this. Wow. That's how we get real movement. Uh-huh. And we have seen uh, what happens now that we've been tracking the numbers. Um, for example, Ogdensburg, New York, went from 3 to 18 seminarians in three years. Peoria, Illinois, went from 9 to 21. Stockton, California, went from 0 to 9. That's just a few of the examples of the, tr- the transformation that can happen to become more vocation- minded intentionality yeah. is what's needed.
0: Yeah. And what, as a priest, I'm listening to this, what, what would be like the most, the thing you see, maybe a lot of priests could improve on that maybe the most common thing they're not doing.
1: Okay. The most common thing they're not doing is they're not talking about vocations.
0: Like It's shocking.
1: It's shocking. Yeah. They don't talk about it at all. You know. mm-hmm. And I'm not even just talking about the word vocations. I'm talking about like because it doesn't have to be all that all the time. That's not, that is not, I need it to be organic. I need the priest to talk about you when, when there's a Holy Spirit moment in the gospel about listening to the Holy Spirit, about parents, uh, listening to the Holy Spirit and, and supporting their children's call, whatever that is. Right. Or, uh, just doing God's will Right? right, And it can't just be when Eli and Samuel are going back and forth. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Although I do
0: know a deacon that answered the call when he heard that. <laughs>
1: well, No, no, that's a good thing. But it right. can't only right. be right. then, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so that's one thing. Talk about it. Yeah. Secondly, share their story. Yeah. Share their story. So many priests say, oh, Rhonda, I shared my story when I got to my parish show. That was probably 10 years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you gotta share it more often. You can't think that everybody's heard it and take bits and pieces and and work it into Mm. your homily. Share about your parents, share about your struggles, share about how you you were just a kid like they, these kids that are in the pews are, right? You love soccer, you were in the Mm. band, you had a girlfriend. Share your normal life and what it was like to discern. Because I've also had priests say, Oh, but Rhonda, I don't have a great discernment story or that, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary didn't come down and talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is that our bar? Mm -hmm. Is is that the bar we're sharing with the kids out in the pews that Mm -hmm. the Blessed Virgin Mary has to come and talk to them Mm -hmm. before they can say yes to their call? It has to be sharing like the reality that it was probably, because I've heard this over and over again, a restlessness. It was, uh, it was found in prayer that you heard a whisper, right? Right? It was a gentle nudging, or right. it came from a priest saying, have you ever thought about this? Yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was this big, massive story, okay? So they and needed you, you to tell point it.
0: You out, too, like a large percentage is through adoration. Exactly. That's part of the the call story oftentimes what percentage it,
1: it? it's between 80 to 90 percent of newly ordained say they either heard the call in adoration or it was nurtured in adoration yeah. which is why adoration is so key in a parish or school to have some time of adoration
0: can I tell you a couple of elements of my story please <laughs> would love it uh, I was a uh, born and raised Catholic and I, I, I stayed with Sunday Mass here you know, I was in CCD and through college, I remember missing a few masses, but for the most part, you know, going to mass and uh, and I had this conversion experience at the end of college, and uh, so then I'm working, and I'm going to a daily mass and I'm going to adoration, and I I had no attraction to the priesthood, never ever wanted to be a priest, never drew me or anything, and. Uh, and I don't remember the order of this exactly, but I was in adoration In adoration. I was started I heard Fulton Sheen talk about the Holy Hour. Started making the Holy Hour, and I remember praying in there. And and actually now that I'm even telling this is, I think this is good why to tell the story too because different things strike me when I tell the story, and like I'm just remembering now too. I had a friend of mine, a high school buddy, and we were both. Working up in Huntsville, Alabama, and we would have lunch and stuff together, and and i you know, he was seeing this big conversion to me, and he he didn't really have a faith, and and he said, you know, why don't you become a priest? And I said, and I just quickly said, well, I'm not, I'm not called to that. He said, no, no, you know, he was like, he was trying to guilt me or something, but he was saying, you know, you should just automatically want to do this if you really believe what you've been telling me at lunch all these times, you know, and and I remember him telling me that, and I just kind of said, well, you got to have a call, and then I I remember one time praying in adoration, and I felt like this kind of interior thing, why don't you become a priest, or would you become a priest, and I remember just saying no, you know, and uh, and then at some point in there, my pastor, you know, at the time, we had like this 615 AM mass. And I would bounce around to other masses in town. But it was, um, it, it, and he asked me, I remember it was an empty church in the corner. And he was this soft-spoken, mild-mannered Irish priest. And he said, uh, did you ever think about becoming a priest? And I said, not a chance. I remember I said it kind of strongly, <laughs> not a chance. And then... And then I was working for this small defense contracting company, and the, the contract was running up. So they gave me, said, well, you're going to have to let you go. And that night, I'm, I, when I was going to a Monday night mass, I laid at Our Lady of the Visitation Church in Huntsville, and a friend of mine put a vocation thing, a vocation magazine that all these religious orders and maybe articles about discernment and stuff. And, and I flipped it open, and um, and had a picture of St. Anthony Mary Claret, I said, why did they try to kill this man 19 times? I said, because he fearlessly preached the gospel. And none of that appealed to me. I had no, you know, being a martyr didn't thrill me, didn't do anything for me. <laughs> Preaching the gospel didn't do anything. But it just something just said, you know, it just drew me, you know. And uh, and I went in to talk to my, I mean, I kind of look at it as like God had to say, you know, he had to pull the rug from under me lose the job and kind of have a new openness. And I was reading all this chastisement, Marian and apparition stuff, so I thought the world was basically ending pretty soon. So, I, I, as I put it, I thought I was gonna get married and go deliver pizzas and wait for the big rocks to fall. from <laughs> But uh, I went in, I remember my, my confessor was this 80-year-old uh, Salvatorian priest, and and I said, yeah, you know, I told him the thing would happen, and he said, there's the Claritians, and he, so he pulled out this big, uh, the big church directory, the you know big fat one, and and so he looked up the numbers of the colorations and stuff, and I think it was something like, oh, it was three, 000, five thousand members, and uh, and I just I thought I told him I said well, that's small, and I remember he looked up at me, and he said no that's big. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting I kind of in this ratty office. It was a poor office. They had literally wallpaper peeling off the wall, an empty bookcase behind them. And I wanted this big, successful, powerful church organization, you know, to be part of. And uh but anyway, I went and visited the Claritians and I, I came someone brought me down here to EWTN and and visited the community and just felt like it fit. But I I mean, I I think about a lot of those themes are in there, which you talk about. I mean, the adoration was certainly uh, a Marian dimension. And then, you know, I forgot about the guy saying that, but yeah, two people directly asked me,
1: on average, it's six.
0: Six? <laughs> On average, it's six
1: times a young man has been asked, have uh, you ever thought about this yeah. before they enter seminary? Yeah. I've met priests who are asked 15 times. Really? It took them forever. I'm like, yeah. okay, you're a slow learner there. <laughs> 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 but but so that's not surprising that you went through that very similar story, right, yeah. of the no. Right. So So one of the aspects of what I say is that I— Train parishioners how to ask. Actually, train priests because not very very many priests are inviting young men to discern either anymore. So I go role play with them and say, "How do you ask this? Do not say you'd look good in black and white. That is not a good strategy, right? right? Right. Okay, you got to find a characteristic of this young person, whether it's a man or woman, for being a sister or priest, and and say, Johnny." you're so prayerful when you're serving at the altar or I see you're a real leader and leader and people look to you. Have you ever thought about being a priest and get ready for the no, get ready for the no. Don't, don't think that somebody's going to go immediately go, yes, I have. And I'm going to go enter tomorrow. Yeah. That's not going to happen most likely. Right. 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 They're going to say no. And you keep the conversation really short and say something like, that's okay, Joni. God has a big plan for you. Yeah. And he's got something special in mind. Go find out what it is. I'm going to be praying for you. End of conversation. Right. And just let it be. Let it sit with them. Because sometimes you just got to let it just gnaw at them a little bit, right? Yeah. And get into their
0: heart. Right. And I, I think, too, I think for modern... Young men, like regards the priesthood, probably sisterhood too. But it's like, and I, I consider, I identify. People will just nail the millennials and everything, and I'm kind of like holding my breath because thinking I, I have those same traits. You know, <laughs> but I think part of like non-committal. You don't mm. want to commit. Yeah. And that was like a, a thing for me, even though I was in religious life, I, and I told people, it's like you know, this is a sacrament of holy orders. You're receiving a spiritual mark. To act in the person of Christ, the head of the body of Christ, you know, to confect the Eucharist, to absolve sins. So you're spiritually marked. Whether you leave the priesthood, get thrown out of it, or quit or whatever, <laughs> you carry that mark into heaven, you know? And it's like it's like this they call it an ontological change, a change in your being. And I just felt like that was such a commitment. Even like going to daily mass for years before I was ordained, I was still was like are you you technically you don't have to offer mass every day but you're strongly you can love says you should you know but if you know if you can and but there was something about just the commitment and the finality and I think men tend to and in general our culture likes to keep all our options open right and you want to be able to Grab the parachute, you know.
1: <laughs> well, I would love to yeah. get the message out there that entering seminary isn't signing on the dotted line, that in right. eight years you're going to become mm-hmm. a priest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or same with the convent, because we need men and women yeah. to intentionally discern. Right. And how you do that best is in yeah. a place and in, with a schedule that allows that. Right. And so it would be really wrong of us to expect that every man that, that 100% of the men who enter become priests, right. because if they're discerning well, yeah. then you're going to have some that say, I can't right. by the end of it.
0: And You know, a huge factor for me, too, was like, you know, even, you know, join the community, and then you go to seminary, and and I can remember... I remember being at Steubenville doing some pre-theology, some philosophy work, and going to a local parish, and, and again, seeing that kind of thing where it's like, this institution doesn't look like it's doing well right now. <laughs> if yeah. you look at, if you go to Silicon Valley, which I did a couple of years ago, and went like to the Google campus and everything, <laughs> I mean, they have like space age designed buildings there with like, this these tarpaulin roof, you know, design of it. And it's, you know, Apple's got like this huge donut building that's a billion dollars, you yeah. Know? And it's like, there's something in America, you wanna be part of something that's successful. And the priest doesn't always rig a successful Well I love the fact
1: that you entered a Franciscan community. right on top of that that there's God's sense of humor right. there, right, Father right. I mean that you wanted right. success, and um Francis was all about you know the poverty, yeah. really, or living among the people and and, and no not it's not about the material, right. right right so um I love that that how that worked in your life, yeah,
0: yeah. But, you know, a big factor for me, too, was, though, and because being here, and Mother Angelica was doing a live show, and we would get, like, buses every week of pilgrims coming to see, and oftentimes there would be priests with this group coming. So we would have priests celebrating all the time. I was serving Mass, you know, every day, practically, probably, and certainly at the 7 a.m. Mass. So I met all these priests. I remember one day it just clicked with me, that, you know, I enjoy priests, I like priests, they're, I remember they have a great sense of humor, they are really, to me, as a whole, it's like priests are the wittiest people I know, I mean, they, they could, and they're good with people, they generally have good people skills, you know, and they're just kind of generally warm, inviting, you know, you can talk to them, everything, and that reassured me. You know, and I was thinking about that with Father Stu. I don't know if you saw that movie. I but, did. Yeah. I did. And he and his bigger story was, you know, he's this tough guy boxer and and he didn't think he could be a priest because he, he wasn't like any of the priests. But he met Father Grochelle who'd come out and kind of kick you in the shins and give this talk. whatever? And he said, I could be that kind of priest.
1: And he was, I meaning, yeah, you know, he yeah. really told it like it is. Right. Like he didn't like, it wasn't flowery. Yeah. It wasn't theolo- theologically like all up in the sky, right? right? It was right. very practical on how to yeah. fall in love with Jesus Christ. And yeah. follow him. Yeah. And follow him. So, so that might be a yeah. good point
0: in there too. I don't know if that's one of your 75 points, but <laughs> I mean, if some guy is sitting there, I don't relate to this whole priest crowd. I remember pulling up to the seminary, Mount St. Mary's. And um, and I'll never forget, we got out of this the first time, coming to, like, to the center of the house, they call it. And they had this, this big guy there and he just had this great belly laugh. And I remember that was like, my entrance to the seminary and I I remember that was so attractive to me that this is a place of joy and happiness. And it really is. I mean, a seminary, you get a bunch of guys together with guy humor going. It's like an aggressive everyday kind of stand up routine. But it's true father. So that
1: is number three is to share joy. Yeah. If we want priests to inspire others Mm -hmm. to the, to their vocation, whether it's priests or being sisters, or uh, Mm -hmm. even for a married couple to have a joyful priest or anyone living out their vocation joyfully. Mm -hmm. I say that, so vocation comes through Jesus Christ, right? That is an absolute, Jesus Christ, the one who's calling, right? But sometimes he works through other people. Mm -hmm. And a joyful priest, sister, or married couple can inspire other vocation by their witness. Right. So, yes, sharing their joy is yeah. big yeah. Um, and and then inviting. So yeah. there's just so there's it's not rocket science by yeah. any means. Yeah. Uh, and people have been doing vocation work in parishes here and there over the course of the you know millennia. But but I just can't happen to come along and kind of organize it all. That's yeah. how I look. I was just an organizer mm-hmm. and putting all the activities together. And then through these workshops, giving these workshops to priests and parishioners, then I was asked, what do you have for teachers? What do you have for educators? And I didn't have anything until we couldn't go anywhere in 2020. Mm. So some... I had a COVID baby that I don't have to burp or feed called The Harvest, A Guide to Vocation Ministry and Education, my second book. (laughs) Um, Took about nine months to write. And um, so it came out in August of 2021 with its companion website, still at vocationministry.com, but there's all these tools for educators now. Because these same principles, the same principles of intentionality, if if a parish is intentional about promoting vocations, vocations will come. And uh, same with the school. Same with the school. If the school has that as a priority mm-hmm. to promote vocations, that meaning that each, go- each child is called to be a saint. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is how if they marry Jesus, they marry the church, or they marry another person, right. that's their pathway to sainthood. That's right. our sanctification in this life, right. and we want everyone to be a saint. We want our kids to be saints, so we should want to help them find this. So we, uh, then we started giving workshops to principals and teachers and catechists, and so that's been a whole new avenue uh, of things, and why should we do that? Well, 40% of the newly ordained year after year say they first heard the call between 6 and 13 years of age. 6 and 13 is the biggest chunk. The rest are kind of scattered. And so what's happening in a young Catholic's life between 6 and 13? They're going to catechism classes, or they're in the Catholic school, or they're altar serving, they're in youth ministry, they're singing in the choir, their parents are taking them to Mass, they're active in their faith life. Mm-hmm. That's when they're being called, but it's not being fostered at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. So we've got a lot of lost vocations walking around. A kid hears it at seven. They never hear anybody else talking about it. Yeah. And so they think they're abnormal. They don't know any, anything else. So they say no and they don't do anything about it. And then, then most of the time that call is lost because then they meet, they meet you know, Joanne you know, in high school and then they end up getting married. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we want wherever they hear the call, whenever they hear the call, by people they trust, that's how it should be fostered.
0: Right. And I, you know, I I think, you know, we're talking a lot about like priests kind of talking about it and trying to inspire it. And I think you also talk about, you're trying to uh, help people discern marriage. And sometimes it can be hard, like if you're, if you're you're struggling yourself, and maybe not in a real serious way, but it's like, you don't feel excited. I mean, even, sometimes I think you can feel I'm working hard at this I enjoy it and everything but it is tough right now and I don't know if I can be convincing you know inviting people and I imagine that's true for marriage there's a low point in the marriage like what do you tell people about that
1: well I say that I but especially when I'm talking to to priests Mm -hmm. I say you know look you may not be feeling twenty-four-seven joy. Yeah. First of all, a I want you to share authentic joy. I don't right. want you making this up. Right. I want you to love your priesthood. Right. I want you to remember how God called you yeah. to this, mm-hmm. and I want you to be the best priest that Jesus Christ is calling you to be. You right. know, and share that mm-hmm. with people because they're going to be. Uh, You're being authentic will mm-hmm. make more of a difference than any fake. sense of joy you can give. So giving reality is fine. But I also say, if you're not feeling joyful and feeling that authentic joy, because that happens, um, then find the priest next door to come in and talk to your youth. Mm -hmm. Ask, don't don't be afraid to find those who are really feeling it at that time to come in and inspire your people. Because not only do youth need inspiration, adults need to see happy vocations they Mm -hmm. need to see priests sisters married couples who love their vocation they need to be inspired by that too so that they can say i would love for my son to say yes Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have a priest who's really unhappy Mm -hmm. hey okay look if you have a priest who's seemingly unhappy in Mm -hmm. their vocation they need your prayers Mm -hmm. and they need affirmation Mm -hmm. they need both of those things so do that Um, and just know that there's a season for all of that. And just recognizing that married couples aren't 24 seven joyful either about that, but there are others. We should, we shouldn't hesitate to say, okay, this is what's happened. Sex scandal. Let's put that out there. Sex scandal put a lot of priests in a corner. They retreated into a place of, I can't talk about that i can 't even talk to a young man now i mean i 've got to be surrounded by ten different people, mm-hmm. and then how do you ask when you 're surrounded by all these people? Have you ever right. thought about being the, being a priest right. so it is it 's real, yeah. and that has happened, but look listen, God is still calling it that is we know that we yes. know he 's still calling, and you know what the devil wants more than anything for us not to ask. Mm-hmm. He wants us to retreat and he wants us in a corner and he doesn't want us talking about it right. because he doesn't want any holy priests. He doesn't want holy sisters. He don't want holy marriages. Right. So if he can get one priest to be quiet,
0: yeah.
1: he's winning. And yeah. I just, I I want to challenge our priests to come out of, of that place of retreat and go forward with confidence that God is still calling and knowing that right. we need them to right. to talk about it and to right. inspire others. Right.
0: And I yeah, I think sometimes there's a I think it was Pope Benedict that said this, that the call is the cure. Like talking about Matthew, you know, he's sitting at the tax collector booth and he's come follow me. Yeah. So he is, you know, he's got probably piles of money around him. He's probably you know doing things that aren't so great and yet he comes to follow him in all that weakness all that habitual sin all that stuff hanging on him and and following christ is the answer you know that 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 is that's what's going to make us holy and that's what is going to purify us and detach us and i think even like if a priest is quote-unquote struggling or i don't know if that's the right word sometimes but i think still going out and doing what you need to do, you know, to promote vocations, there's something about that just fidelity to it that's powerful that the priest might not see. You know, he's not Mr. Young. And they say, you know, when a priest is young, he looks like a saint, but he's not. He hits middle age. He doesn't look like a saint. He's not. But when he's older, he doesn't look like a saint, but he is. Right? That is so, No, I've never heard that. Yeah. That is so cool. I love yeah. that. Yes. We could judge it in a superficial way. And the older I get, you know, I look at some of the priests that, you know, have been in a parish by themselves, running things, keeping it going, no scandals, nothing flashy, not the great preacher, and, but just that fidelity, you know, is is really awe-inspiring, you know? And sometimes people see that. I don't know if a young person would see that as easily. They just see the peeling wallpaper. But I did see, I know in that priest, my 80-year-old confessor, you know, he, I would see him praying the rosary and he moved really slow and he wasn't real peppy and he didn't, wasn't real clever, but I saw fidelity in him as a 23 year old guy. You know, Mm -hmm. I could recognize that. And so showing up and giving that call, that message is powerful. You know, this another seminary story for me. I, I remember, you know, we were just, we were there, well, this is my, maybe my second year. And it was like we were just coming back from summer break and we had like the very affable priest he wasn't real academic or scholarly, but he had great people skills so I'm talking to him he's real friendly and they got this new priest who's had to be in his sixties and really gruff he, he coached football in high school and the affable priest is like introducing me to this guy and uh, this priest and I remember the guy the priest looked at me and it's like I just got the feeling he couldn't care less that I was a seminary. <laughs> he was going to be a professor, right? And he was completely unaffable. And didn't, you know, he seemed like completely unimpressed, unenthusiastic or whatever. But that priest went on to inspire me in a huge way, uh, not because his personality changed or anything, but he was such a great teacher. And he was, he was actually, I, I just looked at him as a very masculine guy. Mm. He had this great strength, and when he preached, again, it wasn't dramatic, but the guy preached with power and authority because he knew his theology, and he was bright, and he's saying this is the way it is. And it wasn't like a tough message, but it was just like, clearly, this is the truth. And that appealed to me, the hanging on the truth. So sometimes it's like we just never know how how, the witness of different priests and different like what a young man's looking for that might appeal to them.
1: Well, and it, doesn't it show us that God calls all kinds of people, right? I yeah, mean, look at yeah. look at his own disciples.
0: Right. And right. who
1: he called, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people go through the I'm not worthy.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. not
1: worthy. Right. And we've got to get, uh, right? Isn't a religious life and um, priesthood is, and and marriage is calling you out of self? Right. Right? It's not about you Were the right God, you know, equips the called, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we hear. So if that's the case, then it can't be just about us, and we need all kinds of people. Just like you're saying, we need all kinds of priests, we need all kinds of sisters with different charisms, we need all kinds of married couples, right? Such the variety, and we need that. I mean, I think of Mother Teresa when you were talking about um, just faithful, right? Like the fidelity, yeah. And just and the fact that um, she had so many years of uh, desolation, mm-hmm. right? That that she didn't have have conversations with God like she wanted, yeah. and but she was just faithful, right. and she did she did the right ne- the next right thing, right. put the next foot in front of the other, right. and just kept going. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to show our young people. We need yeah. they need those examples, right? Aren't there so many saints like that? Right. Those saintly examples of yeah. um, just doing the next right thing and for the right reason. I
0: think mean, God has oftentimes, not always, I guess, but it just seems like maybe through superiors around you, they have a way of placing you, like where your skills are you are utilized. Yeah, I can remember one of my classmates. He was he was older guy in seminary, and he was like extremely low key and came across as like super low energy, you know. (laughs) I mean, he was only like in his 50s, I think, probably at the time. But, uh, you know, he went on to be this great reconciler with the scandals. He could, because of his easy way about him, he could bring groups of people together. Or you see maybe some guys, I just see it so much now, nobody's got all the gifts. Right. And so you get a guy that's good with canon law, you know, he can do this work and he can you know, cross the T's and dot the I's and love every minute of it, you know. <laughs> or they got the youth guy or whatever, so.
1: And we need yeah. all of that, yeah. and we yeah. need all of that. But, um, you know, I feel like that witness, no matter what, we still need the witness out there. Yeah. We still need um, our priests to put themselves out there and, and be that witness to Jesus Christ in such a way that it inspires others. You know, it's so funny. One of my good uh, friends, she's on our uh, advisory board, Sister um, Joseph Andrew Baudanowicz. She's one of the foundresses of the Dominican Sisters yeah. of Mary Mother of the Eucharist. Right. Yeah. And she says, if you want more priests, put more sisters in the classroom. Like, you know, because, a, a, and that's my, to my point, that a joyful witness yeah. to any vocation yeah. inspires others. Right to any of the other vocations. We just need somebody who's living that life and with such love of life and love of their vocation that God's called them so that others can go, gosh, what do you have? I want that, and to to sacrifice to seek it out. Another another thing is service. Mm -hmm. Service is a huge part of saying yes uh, getting out of yourself, right? right? So many people find their call in mission trips yeah. and serving the poor. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's something that is desperately needed in a culture that we live in right now that is so self-centered right. that we can't imagine, what, oh, I'd have to go without my latte today? <laughs> what, I can't imagine that. You know, I can't imagine yeah. that being a sacrifice.
0: I remember we interviewed a, a sister one time. and I forgot what community she was with, but she was like, I think she was like business popular in high school. And you could tell she's just very good personally. And you could see how she'd be popular, attractive and stuff. And she did one of these mission trips to Haiti or something. And it was a really impoverished area. And they had a, you know, they practiced like this, Great hospitality, and they a few of them were invited to this home, and they had nothing, but they set up the best whatever food they had, and you know, they set it out, and it just. We talked earlier about wrecking life; it just wrecked her life. She said she she just went back to where she was staying, and she just like for a day she just cried, in the room, and she you know she guess I guess it was breaking her out of this our secular kind of false security and all this kind of stuff. And and just awaken her to like spiritual values, you know, and she heard the call to be, you know, it sort of began there in her life. You know? yeah. So that's a great, I never thought of that, just practically doing service trips.
1: And, and so not only that, but even just, and, and we don't have to go on this grand mission trip, like, right. you know, flights right. away. Right. We, could, we need youth groups, schools to take up service in such a way yeah. that it becomes a part of, our, the children's lives. And of course, we want to encourage parents to do that too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that just to serve at the soup kitchen or wherever downtown, make it a regular part of life right. serving others. Right. Yeah. So I feel like we, I know we've only scratched the surface because vocations is, is like such a big topic, but there's, I want people to know there's something that can be done. Yeah. They see their parish, hurting because their priest is overwhelmed or they're sharing their priest right. with three other parishes because right. that happens. Um, there's something to be done about it. Yeah. And I just really hope that they, they go to vocationministry.com, uh, get the guidebook, find out what they can do and get started. I hope more priests will, will talk about vocations and, and share their story and share their joy and, and just live it out.
0: Yeah, you were talking about is it Sister Joseph Andrew? Yes. Or, yeah, and she's originally a Nashville. Dominican. Yes, so yeah. she's the Founders in
1: yeah. the Ann Arbor Sisters, and she's been their vocation directors for 25 years.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I remember, you're just reminding me of this, and I've told her this in person. She, they've come here every now and then. and But I remember sitting in seminary, and... So this is like 98, 99, and I, we had the shortwave radio. We used to listen to EWTN. E- 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 and I was listening to Life on the Rock. Jeff Cavins was doing it, and he was interviewing Sister Joseph Andrew. And I was like struggling. I was like, thinking, how do I really know this is for me, you know? And Jeff asked her that question. He said, like, how do you know, Sister? And I just remember she had that great kind of Tennessee Southern drawl. And she just said, Oh, I just think you know, Jeff. You know, I just think you know. And that's what I needed to hear. Because I knew deep down, I mean, I was like looking at all this stuff and just, you know, conjuring up all this fear in my mind that was, and it's like, but deep down I knew, you know, that this is kind of what fit and this is what God was calling me to do. And
1: um, we make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, if you think, you're just talking about, um, matthew yeah come follow me right it could be very it, that that simple yeah. it's just he trusted i'm like for some reason he just followed right and nowadays we just have so much more in front of us so that um up the 80s and 90s and 1980s 1990s mm-hmm. the average age of a priest being ordained was in the upper 20s yeah and now it's the upper 30s we got to 40 even wow so we, uh, which is causing some issues here and there, just for yeah. what you were saying, you know, right. that's the, the, it's taking, there's a delay factor yeah. of the worry, you know, right. and I wish people would just get out of the boat, right. get out of the boat. Right. If you hear it and you're 18, get out of the boat, right. go try, yeah. go discern well, go find out if that's what God's calling you to. The is never wasted on anybody. Convent life is never wasted on anybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a great formation, you know, to teach you how to pray and some human formation, and yeah, I, that's what I most often tell somebody. Just yeah, go try it. I'm usually a more passive guy, you know. You're not. I could tell. <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's on, not my nature, no. <laughs> on this issue, I I do tell guys that, well, go go try it out. If you feel like colored religion, go visit them. Visit. Several communities, because to me, it was a big factor. I just felt like I fit, you know, when I came here. You know, if someone's trying to get married, you got to... I heard a Protestant pastor say this one time. You know, if you just sit at home, and unless you're going to marry the the mailman or the UPS guy, you got to get out there. (laughs) you got to put yourself out there, right? (laughs) Right, right. Oh, my uh, gosh, that
1: is so good. You know, something that's really helping discerners is... um, so during when we couldn't travel in 2020 uh-huh. as well, we have a large discernment group at our Facebook page. Um, one for women called the veil and one for men called the collar. Mm-hmm. And what we were hearing from all these discerners was a lamentation of, I can't visit the convent. I, w- I was supposed to go to a come and see. I was supposed to enter the convent, but I can't, right? Because COVID? of the COVID uh, shutdown, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we got to. Um, We got a program together in a virtual come and see, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did five communities back to back, live over Zoom. Each community had an hour to show us behind the scenes life in their convent. And pray with us and interview sisters and show us their Adoration Chapel and tell us about their lives. and, And so all of these videos can be found at our YouTube channel. Yeah. Vocation Ministries YouTube channel. It's called Behind the Veil. We've done fifteen different communities for women. Mm-hmm. Behind the Collars is a behind-the-scenes look into and priesthood, and then Behind the Habit is looking into religious life for men. So uh, th- it's a kind of it's a perfect opportunity because a lot of discerners are looking online. First, right? That's her first line of like, is this something I would want to do? And it gives them an opportunity to say, is this the charism? Is this my charism? Is this something that works for me? Would I want to be a Franciscan? Or am I more of a Dominican? All of these different things can get answered by listening and watching and being experienced. And then they can go and visit the community. So it's kind of like a first. First step to narrow things down for them so hope that that's helpful because we've heard from discerners that they are entering religious life with a community because they found our videos
0: right and that's Jesus invitation right come and see come and all see right? yes
1: yes so it. I invite all discerners yeah. to go find it go go look up the the videos and start somewhere don't just sit there going oh I don't know do something active. Be active and pray. Be active and pray and let Jesus guide you in the call, whatever it may be, because that is what's going to lead us to our ultimate happiness. That's what he wants. He wants our ultimate happiness. I'm not talking about passing happiness. You know, that that passing happiness thing, that's not not what we should be seeking. We should be seeking that ultimate happiness and joy that that he wants for us in our, in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we're always joyful. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle. You know, the sacrifice is, um, we have to journey with God through the sacrifice too. So don't think that just because you've said yes, I mean, you look at your saintly examples here. <laughs> just right. because you've said yes to being a priest doesn't mean you are now forever joyful. right? Or that you never struggle. So that's ridiculous because we all struggle. This is what this world is all about. Um, we hope that we just struggle with Christ and we find that ultimate happiness as a saint at the other end.
0: Yeah, and what do you know where that is in the scripture? And the, the come and see. Um, um, mm. Let's see. No, I. I got it. No. Okay. Okay, I've, you got it. Good. Oh well, they tell me it's First John, but that's in the Gospel. Come and see. Yeah, John one thirty-nine, and I'm just gonna read this here.
1: Yeah, please do. John.
0: Okay. He said, the two disciples, okay. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him said this, say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek?' And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Come and see you know, so there's this call to come and be with Jesus, spend time, and as you say, get out of the boat and uh and, it's a leap of faith, yeah it
1: is a leap of faith, and I don't want to minimize it in any form or fashion. I don't because it's it is a big deal, no matter what, um but we do need to um. Still take that leap of faith and say, Yes, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to, I will keep putting that foot, one foot in front of the other, yeah. one foot in front of the other until you say this isn't it anymore. Right. In that Mother Angelica, right? In right. that her, like yeah. that is so her. Right. Like right. Wh- whatever you put in front of me, Lord, I will do to the best of my ability and you will put a blockade in front of me if it should not be. And so if we have that trust in that divine providence that he is going to provide us with everything we need to say yes to whatever God's putting in front of us, then it, it takes the onus off of us. Like all we have to do is say yes and just,
0: just go and do. Right. And that call is like repeated in it. You know, it's like he's always calling us to come deeper, you know, and uh, you know, I recently, like maybe it was a year ago or something, my, I grew up on these 25 acres outside of Huntsville and and my mom had developed it and stuff and then um and eventually she was selling it she couldn't keep it up and and this part in the woods where we lived in um I was just walk I was just going up there and take one last look at it it's becoming a housing development but it's like I remember the area we had this trailer and I and they had like these big holes in the ground that were I could tell they were like a nest. I'm talking like like a soccer ball could fit in there. And uh, and I thought, I forgot what I thought, but I remember I, I came back and I said, what what would live in something like that? And this guy just threw out there, it was probably a fox or something, you know? And then also when I was walking, they had like this rattlesnake on the trail. <laughs> and I was like, and he wasn't rattling. I was like 10 feet away from him and I saw him. I just thought okay i'm done here <laughs> but then but later i thought you know the foxes have layers and you know the son of man has nowhere to lay his head you know I, I felt like god was telling me don't look back you know you've you've left this you're, you're you're doing this you're following me you know embrace that you know and it was a it hit me later the power of that but I think it is a continuing call you know, that we have. And I tried to say it on the show. You know, I, I heard that from Bishop Barron. He preached on it so well. Somebody told me, he got it maybe from Flannery O'Connor, but this invasion of grace that I heard this talk he gave. He was talking about the virtues, the cardinal virtues, you know, when the Greeks made these delineations. Thomas Aquinas took them up and used them to describe all these moral virtues. You know, You live this, you're going to live a good life. And do this in life. You'll have a good life. And that's great advice. You know, just to seek virtue. But Baron made the point. He said, But Christians, we also live by faith, hope, and love. So we're going beyond this. You know, and we're gonna follow Christ. We're gonna follow Jesus. And and we're gonna be taken hold of by something greater than I, ourselves. You know, not just living a good life, which is which is good, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but to be possessed by God Himself, that He will invade our life with His grace, and call us to follow Him and do Lord knows what in <laughs> life. <laughs> and it's true for married people too. You know, you don't you don't have no guarantees of where you're going, what you're going to walk through, and what God's going to call you to. And He He talked about the the boats, you know, where he 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 got into Peter's boat, you know, to preach to the crowds along the shoreline, and then he tells them to cast the nets again. And they bring in this fish and they can't, they need to call other boats to help them out. You get this, you feel like the, the boat is swamping. The pastors might actually say that. And I, I, I thought that is so true. It's like, we have our plans. We want to go a certain way. And we want stability and security, maybe to some degree, the way we want it, our comfort, whatever. And God's just going to wreck that. He's just going to get in your boat. And he's going to swamp it, right? And he's going to draw this fruitfulness out of your life that you can't imagine, you know. Today we had Edith Stein in her, her feast day, and it's like, you know, she's this great philosopher, this great teacher, you know, she was giving talks and stuff and speaking on women's issues and, you know, high-level philosophy talks, all this kind of stuff. Joins the Carmel, and is still writing in the Carmel and stuff, but she said, you know, she came to a point, she was the only, our only salvation now is in the cross. You know, we just, God's calling us to suffer for our, she's telling her sister to suffer for our people, the Jewish people, you know, and to offer up that Holocaust. But it's like, you know, this is a God that's so great that can demand everything. You know, the ultimate sacrifice. And I, I think, I tried to capture just a hint of that I was preaching in the parish the other day and to say, you know, this, this isn't like an ordinary thing. This isn't a secular life. You know, you answer the call of the priesthood. This is the greatest drama in life. Yes, there's tedium, and there's routine and there's difficulties and blah, 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 blah. But it's taken up into God's plan and he's going to use it for his kingdom. And it's, he's, he'll take everything you've got to give. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> and, when, and wouldn't
1: everybody on the, um, at the end of their life, right. when they want to look back and say, "I gave it all to him right. to use, however he right. wanted."
0: Right. Yeah. When you look back on your life, don't you want to be able to say you did something great with your life?
1: Right. And, and and the only way it's going to happen, it's not us doing great, right? It's yeah. We're just yeah. we're just putting one foot in front of the other, and God's going to use whatever we give mm-hmm. to make it that right. so that we can look back on it and go that's amazing god did that yeah. i didn't do that god did that yeah. he worked through me he worked through all these people to make this happen right. we want we and we want holy examples like that all around us yeah. i hope more people will promote vocations
0: yeah and i'm, I'm going to give my last word and i'm going to let you give your last word <laughs> and so one point i wanted to make that was so important for me was and I've told this story many times. My my father, when I was in college, he got sick and died of cancer a year and a half in. And I, in the college for me, and I, a couple of years after that is when I had this, this conversion experience. It began there, but I always kind of knew it was my, or maybe later I learned the theology. But I knew the, the theology of suffering and meriting that grace that I just, I mean, I was put on a different path, you know, and different mindset and thinking and all that. But you know, a few years later, I'm joining the Franciscans, and I'm in seminary, and I, I was struggling in seminary about discerning the priesthood. And uh, my I was visiting my grandparents in New Orleans, and you know, we'd go down, go down there, eat uh, crabs and crawfish, and and uh, drink beer, right? <laughs> moderately drink beer. But I'm sitting at the table, just my grandfather and I were at this moment, kind of alone. At his house, and uh, and he, I remember he had like a beer, a Dixie beer in his, head. <laughs> and we were, I don't know, we didn't have like deep conversations so much, you know, but he just, I remember he said, "How's it? So how's it going? How's it going?" He just said that one phrase, and and I, I remember said, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know how, it's, you know," and he kind of said, "Oh, don't start that static." He said, "It's a good life." You know, the priesthood's a good life. And he was, you know, he was raised deeply in the Catholic church and stuff. And, and I just needed to hear that. My own father wasn't there to say that. And as a young man, I needed to hear that from him, that this, and even though intellectually you could know it, you can know the theology, of course it's a good life. You know, it's a sacrament. It's a holy works. And you can have a million reasons. But I think there's something, I think for a lot of guys, you need to hear it from a father figure you know, that this is good. So I encourage, I just say that out loud because I I think it's important for mentors or fathers or uncles or whatever, some kind of father figure in the young man's life to say, this is good. This isn't weak. You know, this isn't running away from things. Uh, This is good. And I think that should be a point in your book too. I don't know if it's Well, (laughs) I, I I tell priests
1: all the time, think of the priests who inspired you. Yeah. Yeah. Be that priest for somebody else,
0: right. right? Because
1: almost every priest say they were inspired yeah. sometime during their discernment by a priest.
0: That's well said. Yeah, and that, so, if yeah.
1: they're going to, if if we need a new generation mm-hmm. of holy priests, right? Then please st- ask the priest to step out of their own boat and have all yeah. their reservations to inspire in a variety of different ways. Yeah, and that next generation.
0: Because um, I think some of us lose yeah. con- confidence say well, I'm not that good of an example. I've got so much weakness and stuff raging. About I don't feel like I could, but you can. It's something deeper than the words you say or something. There's something deeper. I think it's part of like the male, the masculine genius is to affirm other men or to call other men or something happens in a mysterious way that, Cause I even think of family members I had. You know, I, I could see that they had some their own stuff raging, but it's like they were. I looked at them for masculine role models, with all weakness and whatever, and it was. A, I, I consider it. They they contributed to my formation. You know, in my life. You know, so you know, guys need to do that, as you said, to do that to others. But yes,
1: yeah. and I'm so thankful to have had this opportunity. I want I. I would love everybody to, no matter what, everybody can pray for yeah. more men and women to generously say yes yeah. to God's call. Right. Okay, so we can all do that every day, yeah. and I hope more will do that. Yeah. Um, and, and just know that God will help and do what, if he's called you, that he will equip you. And I, and I mean that for the lay person mm-hmm. who possibly could be helpful in this role. Like I was, I mean, I didn't even know what the word vocation meant in 2011, okay? Right. So you do not have to have a theology degree to promote vocations at your parish or school. Right. So right. laity, we need you because our it can't all be on our priests. Right. That we need our laity to mm. take up the, the mantle and say, you know, I'm going to help build up this church. And so, I, I, I mean, look, I'm not an example of, of much for sure. You know, I never expected to be an expert on anything except raising my two children, and my two children would say otherwise. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, uh, I do believe that, you know, stepping stepping out and doing something, saying I will do it mm-hmm. and, and find out how to do it and just go forth because God needs all of us to play a role in this. Right. This isn't just for a priest. Or a vocation director to do it can't be. It can't. The the job is way too big for that. So I need everybody to to take a role, whether it's praying for or doing something for vocations on a regular basis.
0: I think that's so important because I remember John Paul II said that you know the whole church has a role to play, and you know what I like about your story is that you you uh, it's almost like you bring like a very practical approach. Let's do this, do this, do this. And it's like you're hitting upon real theology and everything, but it's, it's seeming, it kind of feels like it comes from like common sense experience, but I know you're well read. You've read a lot of stuff too. <laughs> but, well,
1: not, not, I mean, it's definitely, I, I say my books are not a work of theology. Uh-huh. They are practical. They come right. from my education experience, mm-hmm. you know, of being a teacher, and, um, but also love the church. Right. I absolutely love the church. I want the church to be around for many, many generations. And I love our priests and sisters and married couples. So we we this is something that is essential. It's fundamental. It cannot right. be seen as extra. Yeah. It's got to right. be fundamental to what we're doing at our parishes and schools. Right. If if right. we're if we're going to have priests, new priests, if we're going to have new sisters and new married couples married in the church, yeah. Then we've got to get busy.
0: Yeah. And we haven't quoted it, but I feel like we have to say this, right? And he said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest." So prayer is like linked to this, it as has you've to been be. saying. It has to be. And I'll just give one final, final, final word. Is <laughs> I I I hear this all the time. Literally every day that I see a visitor here, I'll hear it sometime during the day. He said, basically some form of "We're praying for you." Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that praying for the call, but there's also that praying to sustain the call. And after hearing it so much, I, I always say I went to this marrying conference one time. And I gave like a couple talks, and these 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 line of women, you know, like. A little bit older women usually are watching EWTN and stuff, and they were, and they just wanted to talk to me. Every single one of them asked me to pray for someone, and, and I talked to some guys. None of them asked me to pray for anyone. So I, I'm just saying this. My final word, I think, is you know, women, you clearly have a, a gift of prayer. God has called you that. I think in a special way, that contemplative spousal image of the church. And and I think so much heavy lifting is done there in vocations and, and sustaining priests. So I just want to encourage all the women out there that are praying and all. I mean, I've been helped so much by even my conversion experience at the parish. I mean, I was in rosary groups. They're all older women. Those were my friends in my 23, 24 years old. <laughs> and... I, they're the ones that kind of cultivated by you know they already had to be books read this about the baltimore catechism and having rosary groups they were the only ones praying you know they're the only ones praying in a group in the church but I, I think that it's such an important role and i think god places it on women's hearts it just seems to come more naturally to them and so i just want to encourage them out there so
1: amen
0: well, thank you, Rhonda, for talking with us. It's oh, been great. Thank you. you it's been need a to pleasure. all your family. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a
1: real blessing.